That's awesome. We can celebrate that. Hey, everyone, good to have you join us. It is amazing to see what God is doing in Ethiopia and Berhana Wangel, what's happening there in Ethiopia through your generosity. And just a reminder, this is one of many organizations that you support through Make a Difference, and it's truly making an impact across the world. All right, with that, we are in the fifth week of a series called While We Wait, based on First and Second Thessalonians. While we wait for Jesus to return one day, and make everything right, just as he promised to do. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? And each week, we've asked a specific question that Paul in Thessalonians was addressing. This week, in week number five, we're gonna address this question. How should we deal with persecution? Now, for the sake of this message, the kind of persecution that Paul and we are gonna talk about is hostility or ill treatment because of religion. Of course, people can experience persecution because of ethnicity, politics, or a wide variety of other reasons. But for the sake of this message, the kind of persecution that Paul in Thessalonians is addressing is the persecution people experience because of their Christian faith. Now, in preparation, I actually asked several people what persecution looked like for them in their context. I talked to one young business professional who said he can't even think about speaking up for or defending his Christian values to his partners, or he could get fired. Another teacher who said, when faced with the dilemma of teaching subjects that are counter the Christian faith, she has to decide if this is her stake in the ground moment or not. And often she concludes that, well, maybe she'd rather get fired than actually succumb to pressure to conform. Uh, examples of what some debate as persecution abound in recent news if you've been paying attention. For example, the Los Angeles Dodgers decided to honor a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence with a Community Hero Award. From their own website, the sisters are a group who use irreverent humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry, complacency, and guilt that chain the human spirit. That sounds okay except they openly mock the Christian and Catholic faith. And their motto is actually to go and sin more. Now, even though a few Dodgers players spoke up to defend their Christian beliefs, one pitcher saying they didn't agree with a group making fun of any religion, the sisters will still be given this Community Hero Award. A couple months ago, I received an email from one of our local Christian partners that one of their pregnancy crisis centers run by immigrants and free for the Minneapolis community, was vandalized, robbed, and spray-painted with anti-Christian messages. There's nationally debated lawsuits over whether a high school football coach can offer optional prayer time or not. Social media debates about what is persecution of the Christian faith to some, but not to others. Now, while Paul in Thessalonians never directly defines what persecution actually is specifically, what he does is that he addresses this very thing. He addresses how to deal with persecution time and time again, whatever that looks like in our context. Well, the first step, persecution is coming, according to Paul, so we better prepare for it. Look what Paul writes here in Thessalonians. He says, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well 
No. See, this first church in Thessalonica caused a lot of suspicion with neighbors, friends, and family. In the Roman world, allegiance was supposed to be to Caesar, not this dead and now resurrected guy named Jesus. If someone other than Caesar was considered Lord and King, that caused a disruption to the power systems that Rome had built their entire empire around. So what happened in Thessalonica when people claimed that Jesus was now Lord and King? People formed a mob and the government started persecuting the church. And by persecuting, I don't mean they wrote a bad review on Yelp or cracked a few jokes about them on social media. No, friends and family members were martyred for their faith. Homes were destroyed and and relationships divided. And here's Paul saying, I told you there was going to be persecution. Oh, and by, by the way, it's only going to get worse from here on out. And did it ever. In those first few centuries, Christians suffered tremendous persecution. Around the year 54 AD, Nero became emperor of Rome, and he was evil beyond measure. Uh, amongst many atrocities, he killed his first wife. Then he killed his second wife. I don't think he ever found a third. There wasn't a lot of candidates. And then, <laughs> and then he even killed his mom. But then he took his anger out on Christians when his own government wouldn't let him build new architecture in Rome. He burnt most of Rome to the ground just so he could rebuild the city the way he wanted. But then he blamed Christians for setting fire to Rome who took the brunt of this persecution from civilians. He also literally burned Christians alive to use as lampposts around his palace. Peter writes this, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange is happening to you. No, Peter, like Paul, is saying, don't be surprised by the persecution. Be prepared, even the fiery trials that they would experience. Now, fast forward to today, some bad news, at least at first, because we find throughout Scripture this truth, that persecution... It's promised. Look what Jesus says here. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, which they did, they will persecute you also. See, Jesus never promised that everyone would get rich, that our lives would be easy, or that we never experience heartbreak or sadness. No, what he promised was that the world will hate and persecute his followers. Now, depending on where we live in the world, persecution is increasing exponentially. In countries like North Korea, Libya, and Afghanistan, people suffer similar persecution to those first Christians. Things like torture, imprisonment, or death, all for following Jesus. And many historians agree, even though this is hard to believe with what I just taught about Nero in the first century, that in the last 10 to 15 years, Christianity has experienced the worst period of persecution in its history. In the average month worldwide, 300 Christians are killed and 800 Christians are beaten or imprisoned for their faith. And I know if you're like me, we're tempted to read about the persecution of a group of Christians in some far off country and not feel any compassion or empathy for something that feels so far away. But can I ask... I, I don't want us to close off our hearts 
to the kind of immense persecution that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ face because of their faith. They need us. They need our support, our prayers, our faith, maybe, maybe even more than we realize. Now, here in the United States, we may not face the risk of torture, imprisonment, or death because of our faith, but that doesn't mean Christians aren't experiencing or facing growing threats of persecution, however that looks. People have lost friends for defending what the Bible teaches to be true. Men and women have lost out on second dates for refusing to compromise sexual purity. Persecution might occur by becoming ostracized at work or a family gathering for, for having faith in Jesus. I know people who have lost jobs for refusing to affirm values that counter the Christian faith. Patrick Lencioni, who's author of several leadership and business books, consultant to Fortune 500 companies, and one of the foremost experts on corporate and organizational health, has become a Christ follower in the last several years. It's been amazing to see his journey and his influence. But just a couple weeks ago, I heard him say this on a podcast. He said, it is very dangerous for followers of Christ to think they are not living and working in hostile territory. Today, if they knew, and he was referring at the time to Silicon Valley tech companies, if they knew what you really believed, they would not want you to be there. And now he goes on to say, maybe you're sitting there thinking, no, that's, that's not my company. That, that's not me. They would welcome my beliefs. And maybe, maybe they do. Maybe you're one of the fortunate ones. And if you've got a CEO or boss, or maybe you're your own CEO or boss, and you're allowed to share your beliefs, make sure you are grateful for that. But Lencioni, from his corner of the world, said that in many businesses, the Christian faith is not welcomed or accepted. And if that's true now, it's only gonna get worse because I predict, along with many others, that persecution for being a Christian, maybe even for being a church, will only get worse over the next several decades. And so can I speak to the next generation for a second? Teenagers and young adults, it's already not easy to be a Christ follower but it's only gonna become more difficult. If you're gonna follow Christ and obey God's word, you're gonna have to count the cost. That means you're gonna have to know how much it's worth to you. Now, I think it's worth everything, but to count the cost means that you're prepared, and I don't want to scare you, but, but I wanna get real with you. Don't be surprised at the persecution you will experience. Be prepared. I realize at this point I've thrown a lot at you and maybe this all feels like bad news. And in many ways it is. Who wants to lose friends? Who wants to lose relationships or even be made fun of because of their beliefs? I don't know a single person who actually wants that. So what's the good news in all this? Because you might be sitting there thinking, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I'm not sure I want any part of that. And if you're here today and you aren't sure about what you believe, maybe you're not a Christian, I get how you might be wrestling with this, but all I ask is that you just hang with us for a little bit longer because look what Paul writes here in Romans 5. He writes, we can rejoice 
when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, when we experience persecution, we have two options. You're gonna hear me lay this out for the rest of our message. We have two options. We can run the other way, and most likely we'll face less persecution. Or we can choose to follow Jesus. And though following Jesus will involve persecution, it also includes endurance, strength of character, and the confident hope of salvation. Again, the question is, how should we deal with persecution? The first is prepare for it. Don't be surprised. And the second is, we're going to have to persevere. Because when faced with persecution, what will we choose? Will we choose to persevere in faith and remain faithfully obedient to what God wants us to do over the long term? Or will we choose the easier option and run the other way, turn the other way, when the going gets tough. The Thessalonian church was known for persevering under difficult circumstances over a long period of time. That's why Paul writes, among God's churches, we boast. You're known for this, Thessalonian church. We boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Paul could boast about this church because they'd been persevering in the face of persecution over a long period of time. When it comes to persevering over a long period of time, I think of the generational differences in regards to coffee consumption. Okay, hear me out on this analogy. Emily's grandpa Paul was born in 1926, an incredible man, but also extremely frugal, as many were from that generation. Whenever we'd visit their home in Hastings, Minnesota, he'd fire up this coffee pot, That must have been as old as he was. I mean, just nasty thing. So I did some math. I figured making a cup of coffee with Folgers, and by the way, he used very little coffee grounds, but with Folgers, it probably cost him about 20 cents a cup. And that's, you know, maybe an overestimate. But go to Caribou, Dunbrother, Starbucks. Cup of coffee is going to cost you $3. Then you add in all that frou-frou-y stuff. It's like $5 or more, okay? But if we drink Starbucks every day at $5 a day for 70 years, this is how much we'll spend in our lifetime, $127,750. But a 20-cent cup of coffee every day over 70 years, this is how much Grandpa Paul spent, $5,110, all right? That's a $120,000 difference. Now, Grandpa Paul chose obedience and long-term perseverance to Folgers and that coffee pot rather than give in to those $5 grande non-fat two-pump vanilla lattes. But here's the deal. Because of his perseverance to that dark water, okay? (laughs) Despite a career working in factories at 3M, raising 10 kids, Grandpa Paul passed away with more financial resources and life blessings than he knew what to do with. Okay, now let me play this analogy out further. Let's imagine someone came up to you right now and said, I'll give you $120,000 to drink Folgers the rest of your life. Right now, what would you say? Many of you would be excited because you already drink Folgers, but okay, let's imagine you don't. You're just, that's what you gotta do, okay? And you'd probably say, yes, I'll do that. I mean, you get all this cash right at once. You'd walk out of here with $120,000. That's because you get it right then and there. 
But now let's imagine someone comes to you and says, I'll give you $120,000 inflation-altered dollars 70 years from now. Not Some of you don't have that much time, but you know, into your life, okay, let's picture, and we got enough time to enjoy it, but into your life, to drink Folgers the rest of your life, but I'm gonna give it to you at the end. What would you say then? Well, if you're like me, you'd probably say, no, I wanna drink better coffee rather than wait for that greater reward. But here's the comparison, and I don't care what kind of coffee you drink, okay? Let's forget that part. But when it comes to this life and facing persecution because of our belief in Jesus, we're gonna be faced with a constant decision. Will we choose the easy way out and that short-term pleasure, that $5 cup of coffee, or will we choose to persevere in the face of persecution if it all leads to a greater reward in the future? Because that's what Jesus promises for those who persevere in faith in the midst of persecution. Look what Jesus says. It almost feels like this is gonna be a typo. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus can say that we're blessed and that we should rejoice and be glad. That's because if we persevere in faith, rather than choose that momentary pleasure and short-term gain, great is your reward in heaven. For example, there are times where we may give in to sin rather than face mockery from our friends or our circle of influence because it feels better in the moment to just give in and conform short-term pleasure over long-term obedience. There are times we choose to remain silent while our friends make inappropriate jokes, sexually explicit jokes, momentary pleasure, because again, we fit in, we're fitting in with the crowd, but a lack of perseverance to hold firm to what Jesus wants us to defend. Maybe our college campus or our workplace promotes anti-God worldly viewpoints, and rather than push back against the, the current, push back against those viewpoints, we, ter- we choose to just go with the current and and we walk away from faith because well, it's just easier to give in to their worldview. Now, don't get me wrong. If we shy away from doing what Jesus wants us to do, there will be plenty of times we'll experience that rush of pleasure and less persecution. But we've got to stop and ask, is this what God wants for us? I mean, what if God has called us to something more, something better? As I've made abundantly clear, obedience to God will come with persecution and therefore require perseverance. But friends, great is our reward for those who persevere. That's why Paul writes this to the Thessalonians, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. The world needs Christians who stand firm, who hold fast, to the 4,000 plus years of unchanging biblical truth, to the teachings of Jesus, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, never giving in, never succumbing to cultural pressure or worldly temptation, never adjusting their theology or belief in God despite persecution. No Christian, stand firm, hold fast, choose to persevere. Next way to deal with persecution is to live boldly. 
Look what Paul writes in Thessalonians. He says, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Dared means to take a risk, to live bold lives of faith. Now, it's one thing to live boldly when there's no opposition. Of course, it's a whole other thing when there are strong cultural and personal forces opposing how you're trying to live. As I was preparing this message, I heard another pastor tell a story about a missionary in a country that specifically targeted Christians. And as this man who had become a pastor was walking home one day in this country with his son, he was brutally beaten and murdered by people who opposed Christianity. And later on, the son returned to this location where his father was murdered, and he saw his father's Bible laying there on the ground. And he picked up this bloody Bible and said, I will continue the work that my father began. And when I think about that kind of faith, I can't help but feel inadequate. I mean, would I do the same? There are times I hesitate telling people, uh, complete strangers, that I'm a pastor in fear of what they'd think. But this son took up the same mission that his father was murdered for. That's bold. That's daring in the face of opposition. Pastor Craig Rochelle, and a pastor in Oklahoma, used this a great analogy to an illustration to unpack this next point. He said, really, in life, we've got two options. Well, we can choose comfort. You know, I'd rather not say too much or stand up for what I believe because it's, it's easier that way. And then, of course, we'll avoid opposition. And that's great for a time. But what happens is every time we choose comfort over faith, our faith gets weaker. I mean, it's much more comfortable to sit on the couch than go work out or lift weights. But if we choose that over working out, what happens? Our muscles atrophy. Similarly, if we choose comfort over the cross, our faith weakens. And what happens then? Our lives become empty, devoid of meaning and purpose, which is where a lot of people unfortunately live. But the other option is to live boldly to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Yes, we will face opposition, but notice what happens as we exercise our faith and face resistant, our faith, our faith strengthens. Our faith muscles get bigger and stronger, and as we do, we become closer to Christ, which is the ultimate goal. That's because we've endured, we've overcome, we've persevered. Now imagine for a second that you play in the NFL, now imagine that you play on the Vikings and you're about to play the Packers. And imagine that you're an offensive lineman for the Vikings, okay? The game starts, the whistle blows, but instead of playing in the game, you just, well, you just choose to lay down. <laughs> you take off your helmet, you grab a bag of potato chips, and you just sit down wondering, like, when's this game gonna be over? I'm so bored. Now, what do the Packers think? Well, the Packers think, this is normal for a Vikings player to just give up and roll over. So they're just like, what's that ever? Low blow, I know. I'm totally kidding. But no, what they think is, we don't have to worry about that guy. We don't have to game plan for him. He's not a threat. So the enemy, the Packers, will pay no attention to you. Now imagine you're in the game. I black down your face, sweat dripping off every pore, helmet and pads strapped on, fire in your eyes, 
ready to knock some green and yellow back to kingdom come. Now you're a threat to the opposition, and the opponent has to game plan against you. Well, the same is true with our spiritual lives and the enemy we face, Satan. See, if we're a threat to Satan, we'll face opposition. When we live like Jesus wants us to live, when we live with bold faith, Satan will game plan against us and use persecution to defeat us. But on the other hand, if we're just sitting down, if we're just wondering when it's all gonna be over, if we're living lukewarm about our faith, if we're not praying, inviting, sharing, or giving generously, well, the enemy has no real reason to persecute us. We're not a threat. So take a moment and ask yourself, is it possible is it possible that we haven't experienced persecution or opposition because we've been choosing comfort over boldness? Now, I also know there are many here today, there are many here online, many people I know who live with bold faith, but we need more of you to do so. People who stand in the gap of cultural falsehood and point a next generation to God's truth People who sacrifice status for the sake of what's doing right, even if it costs you. People who wage war in the spiritual realm through prayer and fasting and intercession. People who stand up for truth. These people live bold lives of faith in the face of opposition because they would rather please God than people. That's where Paul's motivation came from. He said, we're not trying to please people. But God, who tests our hearts, take a moment and ask yourself, who are you motivated by? And again, if I'm honest, there are times I'm motivated by what's best for people and what pleases people, but every single day I have to reflect and ask myself, am I ultimately motivated to do what God wants me to do? And if that's true, then we need to ask, how can I live a bold life of faith? in the face of opposition. Final way to deal with persecution is to bless those who persecute. Now, I saved this point for last because I think this is one of the most difficult countercultural teachings of Jesus and subsequently Paul and the rest of Scripture to grasp. Look what Paul writes here. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Say, what, Paul? I mean, remember, this is a guy who's been jailed, robbed, and beaten more times than he could even remember, all because of his faith. And now to those who've actually persecuted him, he's saying he's gonna bless them? I mean, apparently, because this kind of message is also affirmed in Thessalonians. Immediately after affirming all the persecution they've all experienced, this is what Paul writes. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. I mean, how can Paul suggest we're supposed to bless and love those who persecute us? Because Jesus taught his followers to do so. Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense. That's kind of how the world operates. But then Jesus flips this one. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray 
for those who persecute you. I told you this was hard, and so can I, can I be completely candid with everyone? When I think about the kind of persecution that Christians face because of their faith, I get mad, like really mad. I mean, left to my own intuition, I'd pretty much do anything to defend the beliefs and values that I consider to be godly and true. But then I read Jesus' words, and I read the words of the Bible, and it's clear the way of Jesus is not to curse, it's to bless And in my competitive heart, I don't get how this makes sense. Aren't we supposed to trade punch for punch? Aren't we supposed to wage war against the very things that God opposes? Don't we want to win? And the answer is, yeah, we do. But not in the way that we're naturally inclined. Paul says, we overcome evil with good. The way to combat persecution, which is evil, is not to curse, it's not to speak falsely against or to persecute back, it's to do good to and love those who hate us. Now, does that mean that we endure abuse or persecution without protecting ourselves, our loved ones, or our children? No, I don't think it means that. I think we should protect ourselves and those entrusted to our care. So what we're saying is not to people who abuse or harm you, but what separates Christians from the world. It's in how we protect. It's in how we respond to persecution that differentiates us from everyone else. So this week, I've got a challenge. Think of someone that you can't stand. You're laughing because it came quickly to mind. All right? like, yeah, yeah. Someone maybe that's persecuting you in some way and, and just take this step. Pray for them and see what happens. We support an organization called the Timothy Initiative which reaches thousands of people for Christ overseas and they shared a story about this guy named Tenjin in Nepal. Tenjin grew up Buddhist, but a Timothy Initiative church planter shared the gospel and stories of Jesus with him over the course of several months, and Tenjin gave his life to Christ in April of 2022. But then, in December of that year, he wrote this. He said, on December 11th, I was at church. We had just finished singing some worship songs when my father stormed in. As a devout Buddhist, he was in a rage that I was following Jesus, so he grabbed me and dragged me out of that church and began beating me with a belt. After I was laying there on the ground for some time, people in our church picked me up and took care of me by bringing medicine and food. And despite that, this is how he concluded his letter to us. I want you to see these words. He said, even through the persecution from my father, I am continuing to follow Jesus. I'm staying firm in my faith and continuing to tell my neighbors and family the gospel, and then look what he writes. Please pray that my father and the rest of my family will believe in Jesus also. See, throughout scripture, like Tenjin, followers of Jesus faced tremendous persecution. And what we see time and time again are people who bless those who persecute them, often by praying for them. Now, will we be physically beaten in America because of our faith? I mean, it seems unlikely at this point. But here's what I do know. 
whatever persecution we face. If Tenjin can pray for those who persecuted him and physically beat him, if Paul and Silas and many of the disciples can bless those who seek to harm them, if the early Christians won people over to the Christian faith based on love, not hate, blessing, not cursing, if Jesus prayed for and loved those who persecuted him in ways unimaginable to our 21st century American perspective, then we can choose to bless and love those who persecute us. So while we wait for Jesus to return and make everything right one day, which he will someday, the world will hate and persecute people of faith. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, we stand firm against persecution by, by choosing to prepare. Don't be surprised. Choosing to persevere over a long period of time to live bold lives of faith in the face of opposition and to ultimately bless those who persecute. Let me pray for everyone here. Heavenly Father, what a difficult message. The, the words of um, Scripture and the words of your teaching are difficult to comprehend at times. And as I was going through this message and, and even giving this message, God, I realized how difficult it is sometimes to implement your teaching. And I'm just confessing myself that this doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel right. It feels um, anti to what maybe I'm naturally inclined to do, to do. But that's why we are so thankful for your truth and for your gospel, because it changes hearts, it changes minds, and it changes the world. So I pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in countries who don't have freedom to worship you. God, I pray for those brothers and sisters that you would protect them, that you would give them a bold and courageous faith, and you would help us to remember that we do have a gift to freely worship you here in this country. And I pray for the own, their, our own persecution and for the times we are faced with that tough choice, choice and that dilemma. Oh, would you give us wisdom to know what to do in those moments, how to navigate this balance between love and truth, grace and truth. God, I pray that for every single person here, young and old, that you would help us stand firm, to be obedient, to live faithfully, to follow your word, your unchanging truth. We love you, Jesus, and we are so grateful that we get to be a part of this church and this community. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, thanks for being here, everyone. We'll have a prayer team down in front. We'll see you next week.